we have, uh, we asked you guys to submit art that we've displayed in the lobby. I hope you've had a chance to look at some of the great stuff that uh, you've turned in. Um, the, another thing, though, that we asked for you, from you is to uh, submit stories where you've seen other people displaying love. And um, what we want to do, I just want to take a moment uh, to share with you one of the stories that came in. And during this next month or so, as we forge our way through this series, we're going to be looking weekly at the different stories that are submitted. And uh, because I think it's really important for us to understand, it, it gets really easy to come to church and maybe you don't, there's a lot of amazing stuff happening. And when you don't hear it, you kind of start to wonder what, what actually is happening. And so as we talked through this, we decided let's take some time and really share some of these stories with people to help encourage their faith walk. And so I'm just going to share this one. Lori Bennett wrote this about her friends, Bob and Sandra. <clears throat> Bob and Sandra Haley are true love on display. Bob and Sandra are more than just family. They're my brother and sister in Christ. They met in 1991 and were married in 94. They were both as lost as could be. God brought them together, and a year after they were married, they gave their lives to Christ. They haven't wavered since. They live every aspect of their life based on the Word of God. They've had many struggles, more than most, health, finances, loss of family. However, they built their life on Christ and he carried their burdens. Bob and Sandra lost family and friends when they turned to Christ. They were ridiculed and talked about, even by me. They stayed strong. Instead of begrudging me, they prayed for me. They're devoted. In 1996, they led me to Christ in a little chapel in Tennessee and have been there for me every day since. When I needed prayer, I would call Sandra to pray for me before praying myself, because they not only prayed, but they believed God would answer. It took me a long time after being saved for me to realize that God would answer me too, and it required faith on my part. Bob and Sandra love God so much that they never back away from an opportunity to share their faith with anyone. The way you see them in church, at the store, at work, home, is always the same. When I look at them, I see Jesus. As I grow in my walk with God, I want to be like them. I want others to see God in me, for there is no greater love than that, and that is love on display. I just want to, I, again, I want to share this with you because I want to encourage you to understand something, and that is when you live out your faith, the faith that Jesus Christ has given us the opportunity to live in, when we live that out in the public arena, lives change when we stick to our guns and stay true to what we believe. I want you to be encouraged to continue in your process of living that way, all right? So I would also ask, I, I actually believe that there are many more stories like that one out there that we have not received. I think many of you guys uh, know of stories like this, and I would ask for you, if you know of a story where you actually are seeing other people put love on display through the way they live, I'd love you to go to uh, the website k2love.co. And uh, so you just, there's a form, you fill it out and send your stories in. We'd love to be able to share all of the things that God is actively doing in the lives of people around us and uh, be encouraged by the stories that we have here together. So take that, uh, take that encouragement, and I'd uh, love to see more stories pour in, as, as well as more art. But we're in, a two, uh, we're in week two of a series that we've called Love on Display. And uh, if you were here last week, you heard Dave Nelson uh, talk about uh, the fact that love is with us. 
And if you weren't here, I, I, I really, really want to ask you to go, back, go to the K2 website or go to iTunes and download the podcast and check out his message because it's really important for us to understand as a baseline, everything we talk about from here on, everything we, for the next few weeks, it all comes from the groundwork that love is only displayed when we are engaged in the lives of others. You cannot be loving someone when you're not engaging in their lives. And so if you missed that message, I would just really, really strongly ask you to go back and try and check that out. And maybe if you, if you uh, were here and you wanted to check it out, uh, again, I would encourage that as well. It's just a really, really foundational truth that we're going to be uh, moving on top of. So I uh, uh, just want to encourage you with that. So this week, though, what we're talking about is the fact that love sees. And I'm calling today's... Uh, message, what you see is what you get, or what you see is not what you get, because I want to be very clear from the start where we're going. Uh, that was supposed to be a joke, but not a good one, apparently. Anyway, um, I laughed in the morning. I don't know. Anyway, um, what you see is what you get, or what you see is not what you get. You know, uh, it was 22 years ago. I didn't even realize it was this long ago. Uh, it was a classic movie that was released by Disney. And uh, raise your hand if you did not see this movie, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, that's about what it is, every service, two people. And if you're a parent, I challenge you to raise your hand if you haven't seen it 1,000 times, right? But uh, 22 years ago, they released this movie, and it's a really interesting movie. Uh, it, was, it was based on this story, this, but written by a French author back in the 1940s. Uh, of the same name. And there, in, this, in that movie, as you recall, there were three main characters. There was uh, Belle. Uh, there was, and she was the beautiful, beautiful on the inside, beautiful on the outside uh, heroine of the story. And then there was uh, the Beast, who is, if you recall the story, um, and I, I'm about to give away the punchline for you two who haven't seen this. It's 22 years old, so I'm not really that stressed out about it. So, uh, <laughs> Here's the deal. Uh, the beast basically was a prince, and this enchantress comes to his door, his, the door of his palace on this very, very blustery winter night, and she asks him if she can trade him a rose that she's got for some shelter in his huge uh, palace for the night. And uh, she's disguised herself as an old woman who's got all kind of physical aim- ailments and very unattractive woman, and so uh, the prince, in his lack of kindness, says no. And because of that, he, uh, he's turned into this uh, horrific beast, and his quest is to uh, f- pursue love before his 21st birthday uh, in the state that he's in. And uh, so that's, that's the second character. And the third character is this guy, Gaston. Now, Gaston, interestingly enough, well, I'll tell you about it in just a second, but what you know about Gaston is he's this uh, really studly guy, right? He's the town hero. He's got muscles on top of muscles, and he's... If you, how many of you remember the, no one hits like Gaston, no one spits like Gaston, I'm especially good at expectorating. Remember that? What's that? Anyway, I don't know why spitting makes you particularly, uh, you know, attractive to people, but it did in that day at least. And, uh, but what we also know about Gaston is that he's rude, he's mean, he's a narcissist, and uh, he, he kind of, and he's, he's got a thing for Belle, 
But Belle sees him for what he is. And though the rest of the town thinks he's awesome because he's so attractive, Belle sees through it and she wants nothing to do with him. And so she refuses uh, his hand in marriage. And so he goes on this quest to uh, win her love. And when he hears about uh, this beast, he turns into this murderous mob-leading uh, villain who tries to kill the beast to win her love. All right? Now, what's interesting, first of all, is that the Disney version added the Gaston character. He was not, he's not originally in this, the uh, story. Uh, and they added it because they wanted to explore the difference between our quest for inner beauty or our attraction to inner beauty versus our attraction to outer beauty specifically why Disney put it in there, which is very, very interesting. And what's interesting about all three of those characters, actually, to me, is that in everyday life, we find all three of those characters in most of the circumstances we're in. You know, I was thinking about this first, I thought, well, that's, isn't that high school? No, it's actually everywhere I go, <laughs> you know? And it made me think a little bit more, so how obsessed are we actually with the external? I did what every good speaking teacher would do, go to the internet and search for information. And I found some pretty, pretty cool stuff in a bad way. And that is this, the stats on American spending when it comes to looks. Pretty staggering. America spends over $7 billion a year on beauty products. They spend over $7 billion a year on fitness. $15 billion a year on cosmetics procedures, $40 billion a year on weight loss products, and $82 billion a year on clothing. Just short of $150 billion a year we spend to look good. Now, what I want you to hear me saying is not that I'm against any of those things. I think they're all fine in their place. They have places, so I'm not, not saying that at all. I'm also not, well, first of all, we as humans have built in, we are attracted to others. That's part of who we are. Science would, would, would bear that out. But what I am saying is there is a, that is a highly, highly uh, expensive price to pay for beauty here in America. And it shows that we are very, very preoccupied with how we look. Again, I, again, I just... Attraction is normal. I remember when I tell the story all the time, uh, my roommate at the time wanted to introduce me to this girl. He said, Mike, I, got, I know this girl. You should meet her. She's a great. So he introduces me, and as I'm talking to her, my wife Susie, who I'd never met, walks past. I'd never seen her before. I'm like, holy crow, thanks. Conversation done. Who's this? <laughs> you know? And uh, <laughs> yeah, we were, 10 months later, we were married. So it would have been faster. I had to save money for a ring. So anyway... Attraction is all fine. The problem is we live in a culture that is so focused on the external that we can lose focus on what's important. My algebra teacher in high school would say, well, we've put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, which I think just makes you sound Canadian, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Today what we're going to be looking at is the way God sees us versus the way we see each other. And understanding how easy it is to get distracted. And before we go any further, I just want you to check out this video that kind of helps, helps us understand how easy it is to get distracted. Check this out. 
This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? No! Uh, look out for cyclists, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so first of all, clearly the world's worst moonwalk ever, but, so that's important. <laughs> Secondly, though, uh, how many of you go, wait a minute, I want to see it the first time, right? <laughs> yeah, I did that, it's there. <laughs> I miss, it's amazing how easy we can miss very obvious things when we become so focused on other things. The good news is this, that our problem with getting distracted by the focus on the external from important things, the, the, it's not a new problem. It's been around since the beginning of time. And God's Word has quite a bit to say about it, and I want to take the time we have left to, to look into that. And I want to start by looking where this problem all began, because I believe at the core this is actually a deeply spiritual issue in humanity, that we are highly focused on external. It's tied intrinsically to our sin nature. I want to look at, starting in Genesis chapter 3. And the setup for Genesis chapter 3, we're only three books into the Bible, but he, or three chapters in, and here's what's going on. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're living a glorious, perfect life. Everything's fantastic. And then uh, the serpent, Satan comes in, uh, disguised as a serpent, and he tempts Adam and Eve to eat the fruit that they're forbidden to eat on the tree. Pick up in verse 6 of chapter 3, and it says this. The woman was convinced... She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now check out this next verse. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. What I want you to understand is that up until this time, until sin entered the world, we were oblivious to physical appearance. Adam and Eve ran around naked in the garden, living a wonderful life, and had no concerns about their physical appearance. And then the very second that sin entered the world, we became a culture that is fixated on how we look to the tune of $150 billion a year in America. That's a serious spiritual issue. And it translates not just into looks, but it also translates from how we look to each other to how we perform for each other, right? You see these people that are moving up the ladder and they're, they're a little higher in the hierarchy than I am because I'm not quite as high as them and people are lower than me. And it just creates a horrible, horrible dichotomy. What I want to do here is just look then at how does God actually see us? How, how does he see us? And I think there are three things that are very important for us to know 
The first one is this. How does God see us? Well, first of all, he sees the original you. He sees the original you. And if you're a note taker, this would be one of the things you'd probably want to write down. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Understand that before any of, any of our earth suit stuff had happened, before we'd done a single thing, before we were even alive, as we were being formed in our mother's wombs, God knew every single thing about us. The clothes, the makeup, the whatever, it doesn't hide us from God. God sees us and always has known us completely in our original form. The second thing is not only does he see the original you, he sees the real you. Fast forward in the Bible up to Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, the people of the nation of Israel, uh, they, they, were, they were ruled by judges at this point. The rest of the nations uh, had kings. And uh, they looked around at these other nations that God did not want them to be like. He wanted them to be different then. And they, he, they looked around Israel and they said, hey, they've got kings. We want kings. And God said, well, I don't think I, I don't. They entered this conversation. God said, okay, I'm going to let you have a king. And so they find this guy named Saul. And what do we know about Saul? Why is he picked? Well, let me tell you about why, what, Saul. Well, first of all, he's from an affluent, influential family. A very affluent, influential family. Probably lots of goats and cows and stuff like that. Or however that worked back then, I don't really know. He was also, it says, the most handsome man in the land. And he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else. Just for perspective very probably looked like me or Nikolai. <laughs> right? So you can see why they wanted him to lead them. Right? So they get Saul, good-looking, Gaston, he probably, you know, maybe Saul was a great expectorator. I don't know. <laughs> he becomes the king and the leader of Israel. And then we pick up in chapter 16, verse 7, and it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, quickly after saying that, I want to make a, a pretty good distinction, and that's this. Saul was put in place by his good looks, but he was not removed by God for anything related to his looks at all, but removed from his position because of his failure to follow God. His heart had turned inward, and he was serving self. So, who, so, so, so God says to Samuel, who's the, the, the judge at the time, he says, I, I know the person that's going to replace him. His name's David, and he's from the family of Jesse. And so we... Chapter 13, verse 14 of Samuel, 1 Samuel says this, But now your kingdom will not endure talking to 
uh, Saul, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul's out, and he, he says, I'm going to find someone that's after, God, after God's own heart. I want, it's more important to me what's on the inside than the outside is what he's saying. And here's a little bit of an interesting twist to the story. So Sam, Samuel goes to Jesse, David's father, and he says, hey, bring me all your sons. Pray them past me one at a time because I'm going to, one of your sons is the next king. Starts braiding him in. Nope, 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 nope. Jesse says, well, that's it. So, well, really? Well, I have one more son, but he's just out in the field, you know, keeping, taking care of the flock and killing lions and things like that. He's not your guy. Bring him anyway. Brings him in. He's anointed king. Even Jesse, the father of the future king, didn't have the perspective to see to the inside of who David was and what God had in store for him. Because David was a man who was after God's heart. And that's what God wanted. The third thing I want you to know, not only does he see the original you and the real you, but he sees the new you, and this is probably the most fantastic news you can hear today. Colossians 1, and 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The translation is really simple. Forget your outward appearance. Forget your inward failures. Forget the fact that you aren't even always a person after God's own heart. But because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, when you accept that into your life, Jesus doesn't even see any of that stuff. He sees you perfectly. The theology behind this is called... Uh, um, uh, substitution, sacrificial substitution, or uh, where, where God looks at me and sees Jesus, he looks at the cross and sees me. He looks at us in a pure form, regardless of where we are, because we've accepted the work of Jesus on the cross. And that's some amazing stuff. I just have a few minutes left, so I'm going to just bust through a few other stories. of How, how did Jesus look at people? How did, how did Jesus see people? And if you remember the story of the woman at the well, Jesus is busting through Samaria and he comes to this well and he meets this woman who's at the well and she's a Samaritan and Samaritans were the dregs of society to Jews. They were the crossbreeds and the unclean and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with this woman and uh, he says, hey, at some point in the conversation, hey, why don't you go get your husband? Let him join this conversation. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, right, you've had five and the one you're with now is not. And uh, she says, wow, how do you know me? You must be a prophet. And they, start, they continue the conversation, and he says, and, and she says to him, hey, um, so tell me, why do the Jews say we worship here, and the Samaritans say we worship here, and blah, blah, blah? I don't really understand that. And he says, let me just tell you what God is looking for. God is looking for someone who's not worried about the place they're worshiping, but the person that they're worshiping. That's what God is concerned with. And she says, that's what I want. I want that Messiah. And he says, that's me. And she says, I believe. Now, here's what happens. See, he comes across this Samaritan who's got a, her life is a train wreck, okay? Just, just being honest here. Her life is a train wreck. 
And he sees past all that stuff into the potential this person has. He speaks truth into her. And what does she do? She runs back to the city and evangelizes them with the truth of the gospel of this Messiah who just changed her life. That's because he didn't worry about the external stuff. That's how Jesus saw people. And the story goes on. Remember, he called his disciples and he spends the night praying. And then he runs out the next day and calls all the disciples. And he ends up tax collectors, which were basically white-collar thieves. And he fishermen and, and tradesmen and not the crew you would collect to do, you know, revolution, right? But through that crew, he changed the face of the universe as Christianity spread throughout the land using these people who failed over and over during his life, including Peter who denied him in Jesus' moment of need, wouldn't even admit that he knew the man. And Jesus uses him help spread the gospel around the world because Jesus saw the potential, not the surface. And I could go on. There's Zacchaeus and uh, Nathaniel. Just so many people that Jesus called. And he saw into their lives. He saw on a deeper level. I'm I'm sure you've probably heard the phrase, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Or another one that you hear is, um, this is a kind of clever one, Beauty is skin deep and ugly goes to the bone, right? <laughs> I, think, I think what Jesus would say, I think Jesus would say ugly is in the eye of the beholder and beauty goes to the bone because he's not really all that concerned about the outward appearance but what's on the inside. So I just want to share with you three other things just in closing here what that means for you and I. So this is great. So Jesus sees us differently. Clearly, there's a problem. We don't see the way Jesus sees us. When sin entered the world, we, we, our vision changed, and we saw the world in a different way. So what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing is this. We must reprogram our brain. You think it's really easy. Oh, okay, I just got to think differently. Well, it's not quite that easy. We actually have to train our brains to think differently. Once you learn something, learning something that's in opposition to that or operates in a different way is drastically more difficult. I got a couple slides here I want to show you that will help you, that will help demonstrate this. It's called the Stroop Effect. Let me see my, uh, so I don't have to look back. I want to throw that first slide up there if you would. All right, so what I'm going to have you do is... uh, you're going to read the word that's up there, okay? And we're just going to read it on pace with me, okay? So already it's red, green, blue, yellow, pink, orange, blue, green, white, green. Okay, you got it. Great job. You guys are sharp. Now we're going to flip the script a little bit here. We're going to change because, you know what? Truthfully, my, my kids could actually do this before they could read, right? Because they'd just follow along and they'd see the red and they'd say red and then green and blue and yellow, Okay, we're going to do something that's kind of different. And I'm going to have you read the color you see, not the word. Okay, and let's, let's see the second slide. Ready? Go. Blah, blah. Wah, 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 wah. Charlie Brown, please sit down. All right, stop. You're killing me. You see, what happens is we're programmed to read letters and letter combinations. And our brain wants to read the letter combination to come up with the word, and it's fighting against the fact that we're supposed to read the color. 
See, this is exactly what has to happen. When sin entered the world, our vision changed and our focus is shifted from being oblivious to the physical to being fixated on the physical. And the reprogramming has to be pretty intense. The first thing that you have to do to reprogram your brain is this. You need to stop seeing people in their brokenness. Stop seeing people in their brokenness. Stop looking at people and seeing what's wrong with them, what's not working in their lives, what's hopeless about them, the fact that they've had five wives before, or the fact that Zacchaeus was this you know, criminal, or what, it doesn't matter. Stop seeing that in them. The second thing we need to do is stop seeing people as personal benefit. You know how this works, right? I see a guy that if I buddy up to, he might help me down the road, job, money, whatever it is. And it's not truly anything about that other person. It's all about me. So the first thing we need to do is reprogram our brain to stop seeing what's wrong with everyone else or how it can benefit me. The second thing we need to do is we need to change our focus. I want to read from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says this, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Step one, stop focusing on the bad. Step two, look into people's lives and focus on what's right and admirable and praiseworthy and true. Some of you, I don't, I don't know, I, uh, Emily, I know you've had this, I think you've had this experience. Uh, my kids um, go to ICS and one of the most awesome things is two of my kids have had the sheer, sheer, sheer pleasure. It's been an amazing blessing to have had Cheryl Gagan. She's a kindergarten teacher for two of my kids. And so the first time we meet with her for our conference, she gives us this big pack of stuff we're going to talk through. And let's flip to the back here to see what's at the bottom of the list. Well, there's uh, ways to use TV to help, not harm. Well, that's, that's helpful. Here's how you make B's and D's. Here's some other letters. That's at the back of the list. Well, she's a teacher. Well, what's she spending her time on? She starts with this, these two lists. One is a list of positive qualities. The other is a list of positive qualities misguided. And she's circled these qualities for each of our kids, you know. And, and, and the same quality that I can see as a negative, I'll say, well, I just feel like, He's a little bit inflexible. Oh, he's very decisive. (laughs) Well, I I feel like he's a little rigid. Oh, he's very disciplined. He's wishy-washy. Oh, he's super flexible. (laughs) He's outspoken and he's he's blunt. No, he's honest. And and as funny as it is, if you've not uh, if you've not had this the experience of someone speaking truth into who your child is. It's amazing. Because what they see is someone not in their brokenness, but into the potential of who they could be. And that's the third thing. The third thing is to become a developer of those people around us. Once we stop seeing the negative, once we start seeing the good, 
then we can actually begin to develop those around us. And I'm going to tell you, you know what the hardest thing about becoming a developer is? It's not about me. (laughs) Because I want it to be about me. You develop me. And I have a sneaking suspicion you might struggle with the same. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, This I remind you, to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And if you get the picture, Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage, don't forget the gift that I saw in you and I spoke to you and I laid my hands on you to bless you and say, go get them. This is what you're wired to do. Do it. You can do this thing. That's exactly what Cheryl Gagan does when she meets with my kids and with me. And the most amazing thing about this whole process is that every single one of you in this room tonight has the exact same potential to see what is good in others as God does and to speak into the lives and to help develop everyone around us into all that God wants us to be. And that is an amazing gift. But we have to stop thinking about ourselves. And therein lies the problem, because when sin entered the world, we became focused on the external, and we have a problem. So we have to reprogram our brains. I'm going to close out here, band. You guys can come on forward. And we're going to actually take our offering at this time, too. I just want to share one last experience in my life that has been very profound. Uh, I came from, uh, a bunch of us here came from a church in, in the Detroit area called Kensington, and it's nothing perfect about the church any more than our church. Every church has problems. It's just the place I went before here. So you hear us talk about it a lot, but anyway, um, I'd been going there, and I was involved with the arts. And guys, you can come on forward, uh, greeters. And uh, they hired this guy, Stacy Brewer, and he's just, he became a pretty good friend of mine. And while we were, uh, while I was there, uh, actually, Stacy's down at a church called Gateway in Texas now, and he, uh, you can actually go ahead and start passing the offering. I'll, I'll pray in just a minute here. Um, anyway, Stacy was kind of interesting because although he was a friend of mine, he, he, he always challenged me. And he would say, he'd be like, Mike, you know, come on, I, I, I know you play in the band, but I think you can play a little bit more. Oh. And reluctantly, I would do it. And he said, Mike, I think you, can, I, you need to be leading a band. Come on, you can lead a band. And reluctantly, I would do it. And he kept, he kept pushing me into, into situations I didn't really care to go naturally. I just kind of, eh, I don't want to be bothered with that. But I kept doing it and kept doing it, you know. And uh, one weekend, he says, hey, Mike, I'm going to, there's a conference at, at this church in Chicago. Uh, I'm buying your ticket. And for you and Suze, your wife, you know, you and your wife, I want you guys to go to this conference. It's on me. Have a great time. And we went to this conference, and uh, I would, I would, it was that weekend of the conference was a pivotal, life-changing moment in our, in, in our joint spiritual journey. And we began the process of feeling a call on our life. And Stacy, this whole time, is standing behind us, and I just, just constantly challenging me to take the next step, the next step, spiritually speaking, the next step, the next step. And I'll just say this. He is the Paul to Timothy in my life because I can say, I 
don't believe today if it were not for him, I don't believe I would be in ministry this day. See, because for some reason, he saw something in me that I didn't even see myself. And he challenged me to move into that place. And through God's grace, that's what happened. Because what you see is what you get. Or what you see is not what you get. Just depends what you're looking at. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we're just so grateful that you love us so dearly. You love us beyond our own ability to understand what that love really is. You certainly love us beyond uh, our ability to love others. But you see us for not who we've become, but for who you desire us to be and what you believe we were intended to be through your creation. And we, I just confess on our behalf, we are a shallow people who because of sin have learned to become fixated on our fig leaves and our external coverings to hide from you and to hide from each other. The beauty that you created on the inside, despite the stuff and the junk on the outside. Please forgive us for that. And without any condemnation, we know you will forgive us because you tell us you will. And we ask that you would give us your eyes to see what you want us to see in others. Help us reprogram our brains. Help us develop others. Help us see the good that is in others and use us for all that we can be and all you intend us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen.